0: Good afternoon, and welcome to Find Your Sparkle with Jen, where you'll be inspired, informed, and entertained. I'm your host, Jennifer Stewart, owner of Jazz Potential and creator of Find Your Sparkle, and today I am delighted to have with me my friend, Heather Perkins. Welcome, Heather. Hi, Jen. It's really great to have you here. Um, Today, I thought that it would be a good opportunity to talk about taking care of ourselves, and when we come across some... different instances, or we have different symptoms, or different things in our life that sometimes we tend to ignore. Um, you've had a, a lot of recent, a lot of, I guess, recent experience with having things that you've been paying attention to in your body that have really, I guess, saved you, for lack of a better word. Is that, does that sound fair?
1: Well, that's true. In particular, I've had two recent cancers which both were diagnosed very early.
0: And that was your saving grace, really.
1: Definitely. Yeah.
0: When we think about cancer, it's that C word that people are afraid to talk about. And not only are, you know, myself you know, afraid to, to mention that, sometimes I feel awkward and I know others feel awkward to talk to someone who's going through cancer. You don't want to say something that would hurt them or offend them or cause them pain. How do you feel about people who have talked to you and expressed things to you?
1: Well, I think it's good for people to be willing to talk about it. I mean, people almost act as though they're going to catch it. Right. And so, oh, if I pretend that you don't have it, I don't have to mention it. We, as a society, have never really learned to deal well with serious illnesses or with death. We don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. If you're one who's going through something, it's nice to be able to talk to somebody about it without them saying, oh, no, I don't want to hear that, you know? And we have to be more open with these things. Plus, if those of us who have experienced things have the opportunity to talk to people, it helps educate them so that they're aware of what to look for or if a friend's experiencing some symptoms or something, they know then that maybe this is something that needs to be checked out.
0: Right. When you were first diagnosed, how did you feel? Well,
1: I mean, I knew when I got the diagnosis. Now, well, let me backtrack. I was diagnosed with in-situ breast cancer and with uterine cancer within a month of each other. That's scary. Yeah,
0: I mean, I can't even imagine actually going through that.
1: With the uterine cancer, when I got the diagnosis, I knew pretty well that that was going to be the diagnosis. So, and
0: why did you, why? Well,
1: I had an aunt who was having some vaginal bleeding and looked into it at that time and discovered that the most common reason for postmenopausal vaginal bleeding is uterine cancer.
0: Now that's something that I had never heard before and I bet there are many listeners out there who haven't heard that before.
1: They probably haven't and so when I experienced some bleeding it was so minimal that it was would have been easy to ignore it.
0: Right, just to sort of say, oh, it's one of those days, or that's nothing.
1: Right, well, even after a couple of days, right away, I made the appointment with my gynecologist, and before I got to see the gynecologist, the bleeding had stopped, what little there was. Right. It was tempting to say, oh, it probably wasn't anything. I don't really need to go to that appointment. I'm overreacting. But I went, and They did the various tests and everything. So when I got the phone call from his office saying, he wants to see you. Now, they never want to see you when the tests are negative. They only want to see you when they found something. So right there, I knew. And plus, having done the previous research and knowing that that was the most likely cause, then I was pretty sure that was the news I was going to get. So I guess I didn't get too upset at the time because I was expecting it. It was very early stage, so that was good, which meant really minimal. I I had a complete hysterectomy, but other than that, I didn't have to have any treatment.
0: Oh, that's good. And I mean, that just reinforces the importance of early detection.
1: Yeah. And then with, so then a month later, I, not quite a month later, I was in to see the breast surgeon because they had found some abnormal tissue, but it was kind of like, oh, this is unlikely to be anything, but we have to do a biopsy. When I went in to see him and he said, oh, well, we found some cancer cells. Oh my golly. That one really took me by surprise because I was so sure it was not going to be anything that I didn't bother to take anyone with me or anything because, oh, well, this is just going to be, everything's fine. You can, you know, don't have to worry about it. So, That one took a little bit more processing, but again, because it was found early, I just had to have radiation. I didn't have to have any chemo or any major surgery or anything. So.
0: So did you? You didn't. Did you have a lumpectomy, or was it just the the radiation?
1: There wasn't a lump. What I had was like diffuse tissue that had some abnormal cells in it. Okay. Earlier, when they had taken tissue out for biopsy, they actually had to insert a wire in my breast so that the surgeon knew where to remove the tissue from because there wasn't a lump for him to see. Oh wow! And then it was they did the biopsy on that tissue, and that's when they found the cancer cells. So there, it was I say very few of them, not a lump to remove, so it was just the radiation.
0: Now, was that discovered? A regular mammograph, or was that for yourself, you're doing your self-examination? Yeah, no, it, it
1: started with a, a regular mammogram. As a matter of fact, I, mammogram. Was, <laughs> I was at the motor vehicle to, uh, we had just bought a new car, and I was there to get the license plate, and while I'm waiting, they had an ad about <laughs> booking your mammogram, right? <laughs> I was coming up on the time when I need it, and I said, oh, I'm going to do that right now while I think of it. So I called, I booked my mammogram, had the mammogram, and then got a letter saying, oh, well, there's something funny, but it's probably not nothing, but we just need to do another one. And then, well, yeah, there's still some things, now we need to do a core biopsy. So, you know, it was a series of steps that I had to go through, but it was because of a routine mammogram.
0: Well, and that's just a perfect reason to remind people to definitely to schedule your mammograms. I had a friend who I had literally, and she's 51 years old, and I literally have been bugging her for years to make that appointment and one day I decided that I wasn't gonna leave her alone until she picked up the phone and made the appointment and she did and you know thank goodness everything was okay but there's that potential for something to be wrong my first mammogram I got one of those calls that you had to come back in because there was something irregular and they needed me to go in for an ultrasound and honestly, my heart was in my throat. My husband was in Digby and he had the, he had the fastest trip from <laughs> Digby to Halifax because they wanted me in like right then yeah. and it was, but it's scary, like how did you feel when you got that? Especially, you know, where you really hadn't thought that it was going to be anything major.
1: Well, I I guess there was a little bit of, like, why me? And, I mean, the surgeon had said almost all of the cases of what they had diagnosed me with originally was called atypical um, hyperplasia, I think. And he said, you know, rarely is this ever cancerous. I thought, oh, yeah, that's just My luck. My (laughs) luck, because it's sort of... If there's something weird that will happen <laughs> medically, then I seem to have, have the, be the one that it happens to. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but you got by, and it was... Tell Tell us about the process. I mean, was it scary to go through the process, or was it one of those things you were just... You were focusing on how lucky you were that you got everything diagnosed quickly and that it was going to be, I don't want to say an easy fix, but that it was something that was manageable. Yeah,
1: I think... You know, because I didn't have to, I had 18 sessions of radiation. That's quite a bit. Well, a lot of people have a lot more than that. And when you're in there and you see people who are having like 35 or, you know, 50 some, and you know that they've also had, you can tell because they've lost their hair, they've had chemo and, or they're, having all this radiation to try to shrink something in the hopes that they can do surgery and everything, then you think,
0: oh, well, you know, I'm not so bad. <laughs> and that's an important thing, too, is your attitude and, and really being thankful that you know, you're know you lucky, you're one of the lucky ones, and there are always people who are a lot worse off than you. Yeah. Was that your kind of your, your mode of thinking was, you know, hey, this is, I'm one of the lucky ones, this could be a lot worse?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a niece who was 25 when she was diagnosed with breast cancer and had to have a double
0: mastectomy. Oh, my golly. So it's like, what I'm going through isn't so bad. Exactly, exactly. On that end, they don't encourage encourage people to go for the regular mammograms until you hit that 40-ish age. But myself, I know, I had one of my best friends who was in her early 30s that was diagnosed and passed away just after she hit 40. So it's, you know, it's one of those things that really emphasizes the importance of doing your self-examinations all the time as well.
1: For sure. And there's also family history and everything that can come into play. I mean, I didn't have a family history of breast cancer in my family. And my niece was, it's actually my husband's niece, but all of those things influence the need for it. I mean, of course, they're always looking at when it makes sense based on the general population, right. but knowing your own body and knowing if there's anything unusual, it's important to know that so that when there is something, you can say, "Oh, gee, this is something that I need to get checked out."
0: Mm-hmm. And taking that proactive response instead of the reactive response that a lot of times happens, especially in in a lot of in a lot of medical cases and in a lot of different things, it is that reactive because you know, sometimes we we don't do those things and we don't look after ourselves maybe as best as we could. Um when you were in the when you were taking your radiation treatments, did you have any opportunity to talk to some of the other people who were there and, and have any of their experiences? Did did people in that I guess in the in the area were, were people sharing stories or were people sort of into their own
1: it it varied, you know, some there was one woman that I talked to a fair bit now her radiation was for a completely different type of cancer and everything so you know you, you you don't know initially why people are there because they're for all different types of cancer that they're receiving the radiation and some people just sit there and want to be alone alone and others are more talkative and and you know I kind of let the other person take the initiative as to whether they seem to want to talk or we just talk generally.
0: Mm -hmm. Did you feel comfortable there?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, everybody there is very nice. The staff is is very good and they're good at explaining things to you and whatnot.
0: Empathetic. Mm -hmm. All right, well that's fascinating. And I I thank you for sharing that, that information for us because I think it can be very helpful for us as a whole, really. We're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with Find Your Sparkle with Jen and you're listening to CIOE 97.5 FM. Welcome back to Find Your Sparkle with Jen and before break we were talking with my friend Heather Perkins and we were talking about some diagnoses that you had recently received including uterine cancer and breast cancer. However, that's not the end of your health journey or your health, what would you call it? I don't even know what you call that, Heather.
1: Excursion, uh, I
0: excursion. think. Excursion. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. But you've certainly had a lot of things going on in the past several years. And you and I have known each other for a few years. Tell us about a little bit of some of the other stuff that's going on. Okay. Well, the cancer was kind of in the
1: middle of things. Right. Over the last few years, I've been diagnosed with several autoimmune disorders.
0: Now, we think about autoimmune disorders. We we think, you know, AIDS, or we think a hep thing, or, you know, those kind of things, but there are literally...
1: There are about 80. Yeah. They, they estimate between 80 and 120 autoimmune
0: disorders. That's a lot.
1: Yeah. And they're they're fairly common. I mean, what it is basically is your body attacking itself. Right. There are any number of them one of the challenges is that a lot of them share similar symptoms. Okay. Uh, a lot of the symptoms are rather nonspecific type symptoms like fatigue.
0: And if fatigue, joint you, can, pain. you can justify that any way you want. I mean, there's always a million things to justify that.
1: Yeah, although this is often fatigue that isn't related to anything. I'm one who doesn't sleep a lot, but I would be sitting there... I I literally felt like if I blinked, I would fall asleep. Oh, my golly. I I would fall asleep in the middle of doing a stitch while crocheting. Oh, wow. It was, I could not keep myself awake. You know, this is not normal for me. Right.
0: Yeah, because you're not a good sleeper. (laughs) No.
1: And and even though I don't get a lot of sleep, I don't normally feel tired, but I was just, I, I had no energy. I couldn't do anything. I was getting... Swollen joints and painful joints. You know, I went to the doctor, and you know, first it's, well, okay, well, we'll try this. And well, that didn't tell us anything. So, you know, I had in the course of diagnosing the first one that they said was sarcoidosis, which is little granulomas. Get deposited in various parts of your body. For most people, it's their lungs. <clears throat> oh. My lungs are clear. With me, it's in my joints.
0: Okay. And
1: so I had an ultrasound, a CAT scan, an MRI, a PET scan, and <clears throat> two different types of biopsies were, without cutting you open, like ones were a needle biopsy where they stick a needle into your abdomen. I, I had a, they finally found a large lymph node. So they were trying to diagnose the lymph node to right. see if it was anything. That one probably had me worried than the actual diagnosis of cancer because my husband died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So you yeah. start thinking of oh
0: large yeah, lymph scary. nodes.
1: And so they did the needle biopsy and they couldn't get enough Fluid
0: tissue to tis- right. really
1: be able to say anything. And then they did another one where it's called an endoscopic biopsy where they put a scope down your esophagus and then through into your abdomen has a needle that goes into your abdomen and they try to get it that way they can they can visualize more and try to see it but they still couldn't get enough so oh my golly ultimately they ended up doing exploratory surgery and that's when the sarcoidosis was diagnosed, although I wasn't told that initially. I was just told, oh, there was no cancer.
0: Okay, so you were thinking, all right, well, that's
1: good. And then they made a referral to a rheumatologist, but that was several months down the road, and I was to the point where it was painful to walk a block. Wow. I saw another doctor for Totally unrelated thing, and he says, Oh, you've got sarcoidosis, you need to be seen, and you shouldn't have to wait another three months. And he got me some treatment and into a rheumatologist the very next day.
0: Oh, my goodness! Wow, that's incredible. <laughs> so
1: that was uh, unusual. But so they did a few things, and nothing much helped. And the attitude from, as far as I'm concerned, from the rheumatologist there was he just sort of said, Ah. Uh,
0: Very dismissive.
1: Yeah, he just wrote me off. And so when a couple of years ago I went back to rheumatology, I said I want to see a different rheumatologist. Mm -hmm. And I have to say the rheumatologist I'm seeing now is much better. And he said, I will make sure that you do not feel (laughs) that you're being dismissed. Oh, good. He reviewed all of my tests and everything and said, I don't think it's sarcoidosis that's causing this. I think it's a liver disease and did various tests i was diagnosed with primary biliary cholangitis back in october which is an inflammation of the bile ducts in the liver again similar same symptoms fatigue joint pain itching things like that and eventually get in to see a specialist who's put me on diagnosed or on medication for it because it's a incurable disease but it is treatable so they can the medication will usually control it so it slows the progress of the disease and chances are you'll end up with a normal lifespan without the medication people end up needing liver transplants oh my golly so it's,
0: wow. So That's kind of scary to think if you hadn't gotten that diagnosis, what would happen? Well,
1: the thing is, is that probably back in 2012, when I was going through all of this with ultimately the exploratory surgery, I probably had this condition at that point. Right. And nobody diagnosed it because the physicians aren't that aware of it. Mm-hmm. It's a rare liver disease. so they're not familiar with it because they've likely never had another patient with it and stuff. The sooner that you get treated, the better. Right. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. So, but then what, by the time that they finally say, oh, I think it's this, well, then I still had to wait another eight months to see the specialist.
0: Oh, my God. And nobody
1: else would say, well, here's the medication that you should be taking. Right. They wouldn't do it without the specialist. But... Is
0: frustrating. Oh my gosh, I was just thinking that that would be very frustrating. Yeah,
1: it's more of the the unknown.
0: Yes, you know,
1: like once you get a diagnosis of something, and even though it might not be
0: like want to hear, or, yeah. at
1: least then you know what it is and you know what needs to be done. You just want to get on with it, and yeah, you you can get on with it, but it's it's always that unknown. And, you know, could it be? And, of course, your mind goes places that it's better for your mind not to go. Creepers,
0: creepers, yeah.
1: And so, as I say, once you, you get that diagnosis, at least then you can say, okay, now here's what I need to do moving forward.
0: Now, one of the things that I love about you is that we're in Toastmasters together, and you have helped to actually educate people, and you've become somewhat of an advocate for... Various things, including a variety of autoimmune deficiency diseases, and you've done several speeches. How do you think that that impacts people, and you know where does where did that come from for you to to take that on to make that next step, I guess, to educate people?
1: well, I, I think it's important to be willing to talk about it because as I said early on, mm-hmm. you know we tend not to talk about these things and You know, when my husband was dying I found that people didn't want to talk about it.
0: I wonder why that is
1: because we're afraid of death. And so, you know, as I say, it's it's like with cancer. People if you're dying, oh my I might catch that. Yeah. Well, no, you don't.
0: And but weird beings. You know, there
1: were people who just would not visit him in a hospital. Yeah. Because it's like, well, I don't know what to say. And so we don't talk about it. And I just kind of took it upon myself. Partly it was my own therapy. Yeah. By then, me being, me being able to give speeches on these things, first when he died, and then as I started going through this journey with all of these illnesses, it gave me somebody to talk to. Yeah, It, it helped me sort of understand it myself better. And I wanted people that are going to be around me lot to be educated about it so that they know that they're not afraid to talk to me mm-hmm. about it and that they understand if I'm having problems any particular day, they have an understanding of why I might be not my usual self.
0: Right. And I love that you said it was a form of therapy for you. Do you do anything else for you in terms of therapy or for your, you know, your own well-being and self-care?
1: Not really. Toastmasters is my main, (laughs) my main therapy. You get a lot of positive energy there and that helps me get through a lot of things.
0: I don't think there's ever a meeting that you can go to that you don't come away feeling better and glad that you're there. Yeah,
1: that's so true. I mean, there've been times I've kind of dragged myself there, not even because I'm not feeling good or anything, just, you know, other times over the years that I've been in Toastmasters where things aren't going well and I just oh, I don't I just can't go to a meeting tonight but I'd drag myself there and I'd walk out saying, "Oh, wow, this is great." And during the period of time when my husband was dying, I always tried to attend meetings because that gave me the positive energy that I needed to get through the next week. Yes. And deal with everything that I had to deal with with him. And so it's the same with my own, you know, doesn't mean that there aren't times when I just kind of want to curl up in a corner somewhere uh, and pretend the world doesn't exist. Yes,
0: we all have those.
1: Doesn't really get you anywhere, so no. Yeah. You, you so to you're try not to one. Stay.
0: You're not one to have a pity party, that's for sure.
1: I have my own little pity parties every now and then, but I try to keep them to a minimum, because for one thing, they just tend to make you feel worse. Right. You know the better you're feeling about yourself the easier it is to ignore a lot of the symptoms and everything if you're feeling down then the symptoms are worse as well
0: yes that's a really good point because I find a lot of people and I have clients who sometimes we're our own worst enemies very often and our attitudes definitely make a difference between our mood and the way we feel
1: yeah for sure
0: including our energy levels For anyone who's out there that is dealing with their own individual struggles, what advice and tips would you give them?
1: Um, Be persistent. If, don't let your doctor dismiss your concerns. Oh, that's huge. If you think, if you've done research and you think this is what you need, insist upon it, you know, make them pay attention because they may not know. So we really need to be our own advocate. Look and see if there are support groups or anything where there's places where you can go and talk to people who have any of these illnesses, and that gives you more understanding and it gives you support. So any any of those things, you know, but also look at like I go to the gym every day to try to stay physically fit, and that helps as well. So you know you have to just look for things like that that you can do
0: and look after yourself and for those of us who are friends and families I guess the biggest thing is don't be afraid to talk to right, you don't be sure. afraid because you need to talk and you yeah. need you need the people around you that love you to be able to be open
1: Yeah.
0: well thanks so much Heather it's been great having you here I hope that some people have you know that maybe you've changed some people's opinions and people are more open to being out there and talking to people This is Jen signing out from Find Your Sparkle with Jen. Go out there and have yourself a fabulous day. And special thanks to Ron for producing this episode of Find Your Sparkle with Jen. See you next time.